0: So we've just had a massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria, you've probably heard about it, and we have a a friend who's a sister in Christ, and she is reaching out on a regular basis to a family of uh, refugees from Turkey, and they have connections to their family over in Turkey, and... We are trying to figure out ways that we can get some, some resources to these people. Initially, they were living in their car. Now they're living in a in a local school building, apparently. And, and my wife was having a conversation with this sister in Christ, and <clears throat> she expressed that there were certain people that she knows that have misgivings about giving resources to the people of Turkey. Now, this is all secondhand. I don't... I didn't have the conversation. I didn't ask any follow-up questions, but I was thinking to myself, what would cause someone to have that attitude? Well, I know that there are some believers who would have that attitude if the recipient of the the generosity was Muslim. And so we need to recognize that this is an opportunity for us to consider the fact that people are made in the image of God. They, They are... Those who participate in uh, receive God's common grace on a regular basis. They receive rainfall, and sometimes they're in the pathway of, of earthquakes, and they receive uh, gifts and graces that God gives them through human hands. Um, but that attitude that someone might have—I'm not saying that there's an individual that has that attitude. I'm hearing this secondhand—that they are Muslim, and so therefore should just be allow them to suffer because this is God's judgment on them, is very similar to the attitude of Jonah. And when I was first considering this passage when I was back in Germantown, I remember reading an account of someone who was in Scotland, who was in a church that was very small and it was closing, who expressed this attitude, don't give people tracts because that's like casting pearls before swine. Don't give people tracts, that's like casting pearls before swine. Now, it's the same attitude. It's the attitude that there are some people who should not receive God's grace, in this case, even the message of the gospel. Clearly wrong, but again, it's something that is in this passage And so we need to think about ourselves. We need to think about ourselves a little bit more carefully because we might not have that attitude overtly. I I would certainly give money to someone in in Turkey or Syria. I would certainly give a tract to someone. But maybe when you're giving out tracts, maybe there's someone that you rule out in your mind. Maybe you give them the track, but in your mind, you're ruling them out. Or you pass by them, you don't give them the track. There are subtle ways in which this attitude of Jonah's creeps into our thinking. And so we need to wrestle with this. We need to wrestle with the contrast between Jonah and God at this point. I mean, God has done something remarkable in Nineveh. He has caused the people to turn from their evil way. And he relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. That word disaster in the original is the word evil. It's, it's a word that appears again and again in the book of Jonah. And God relents from the evil, the disaster that he would bring that he would bring upon them. God is gracious to them. But Jonah is angry. Jonah is angry because Nineveh repented and God's anger ceased. He wanted God's anger to continue to boil. Their responses are opposite. So we have Jonah versus God here. Jonah's attitude, Jonah's approach to the Ninevites versus God's. And Jonah stands in opposition to God. It's actually a a great shock that a prophet of God has this particular attitude. And what even becomes more shocking is if you compare this chapter to chapter 2. Because in both chapters, Jonah prays. In both chapters, we read that Jonah prays, and then we have the content of his prayer, and then we have God's response. You remember chapter 2. Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. Jonah prayed with thanksgiving because he was delivered from death. And yet now in chapter 4, Jonah prays again and he's angry because the Ninevites have been delivered. He's angry and he's going to actually ask for death. There's a lot of irony here. The contrasting prayer of Jonah when the benefits apply to him versus when the benefits apply to someone who's, in his view, not eligible for God's grace. Outside the covenant people of God, God's enemies, these sadistic, incredibly bloodthirsty Ninevites. How can you allow them to repent? It's because of who you are, God. That's what he says. Because of who you are. And then as we compare this uh, <clears throat> set of verses to the beginning of the book, we're actually given an explanation. It's a literary way of kind of tying up loose ends. We understand why Jonah fled. Because he tells us. He tells us as he prays to God. He tells us that he fled because of God's character. That's an amazing thing to contemplate. A prophet of God, fleeing because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness. And he adds, one who relents from doing harm. Language that we don't get in the standard confession, but it's there in, in Joel chapter 2, and verse 13. One who relents from doing harm. See, this is the benefit of God's, graciousness and being slow to anger to those who are outside the the covenant community. In the case of Joel, even to those who are sinning against God who are under, under his judgment, he relents from doing harm. That's part of God's character. That's part of who he is. And Jonah knows this because he's a prophet of God. This is a confession of faith. It appears throughout the scriptures. It appears in Psalm 103. It appears in Nehemiah. It appears here. It appears in Jonah, chap- Joel chapter 2. It appears many places because what we read in Exodus 34 is actually the reason why the people of God have been delivered. In Exodus 32 and verse 10, God threatens to wipe out the people of God, to destroy them, consume them in his wrath. And yet his grace and his mercy are the reason why Israel exists. And Jonah, now in his time in history, a prophet who knows this confession, who's undoubtedly spoken it to people as a prophet of God, has a different reaction. What is his reaction? Well, it's quite clear. It's anger. Verse 4 says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly. Literally, it was evil to him. But not just a little bit evil, a lot. It exceedingly displeased him. He was extremely angry, literally hot in the nostrils. That's how the Hebrew expresses it. It's the, it's the sense that you get when you're really getting angry and your face is getting flushed and, you're, and you feel that burn in your nostrils. That's what Jonah's experienced. Exceeding anger. Why? Because of God's character. It is so backwards. It is so strange. It's the reason that he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was concerned that because of God's character, he might give the Ninevites an opportunity to turn around and he would relent from disaster. It's amazing that in the confession of faith that Jonah is speaking of, and the many times it appears in the Bible, it doesn't often come with that extra phrase, one who relents from disaster. It was a statement about God's mercy. It was a statement about God's goodness, his, his patience, his kindness, his steadfast love, that which Jonah relied upon, his chesed, his Mercy, kindness, steadfast love, that that word that has so many meanings packed into it that you have to fill it out with many English words. God's kindness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness to his covenant promises. All of that without the idea that he would even possibly bring disaster. And so Israel grows up with this knowledge of God's generous character as a benefit for them. But what they have forgotten, and what Jonah has forgotten as a representative of Israel, is that that kindness, that compassion, is designed for other people as well. Which we know, as New Testament Christians, because we live in the age of grace. We live in the time when God is still preserving the world. He has not sent earthquakes around the world. He has not sent devastation and wiped out people across the globe. He is preserving the world. He is causing the rain to fall. He is causing crops to grow so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forward. He is providing his benefits abundantly to the people of the nations. And so how will God respond to this reaction of Jonah, this exceeding anger growing hot in the nostrils and his prayer where he actually says, God, I told you so. I knew that this is the way you were going to be. Sort of like the child who sees another child disobeying And yet they know that one of the parents or both of the parents are going to be kind to that child. And they remember a time back five years ago when I did something very similar and they were mean to me. And I know that they're going to be kind. That's how Jonah responds. You shouldn't be kind to these people. I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness. That is a great and glorious thing. I enjoy it and I'm thankful for it when it applies to me. But if you are going to apply that same mercy and loving kindness to the Ninevites, then just take me out of this life. And so Jonah actually says something in verse 3 that's kind of like passive suicide. He's not going to take his own life, but he's wanting the Lord to take it. Please take my life. I cannot live in a world, I cannot live a world that works like this because of your character. And the massive backwardness of our sinful nature is exposed And then we remember Adam. We remember all the benefits that he was given. We remember the fact that he sinned because he had the prohibition against eating from one tree in a place where he had plenty of food. And how he stands in great contrast to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was in a hostile desert, fasting for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he resisted. And we remember Cain, who slew his brother because the Lord accepted his offering, and not Cain's. And we remember that there are people that have been encountered uh, by God in their sin. And we remember how he spoke to them. When he spoke to Adam in the garden, it was through questions. When he spoke to Cain, it was through a question. Very similar to this one. When he spoke to, when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to Saul on that road to Damascus, it was through a question. Why are you persecuting me? When he spoke to Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? The questions of God. And the contrast between Jonah and God is seen here quite clearly. Jonah is exceedingly angry, throwing out accusations, having a temper tantrum in front of God, and God is playing the counselor. God is asking questions. He is pursuing Jonah even now, just like he pursued Adam, just like he pursued Cain, just like he pursued Saul and transformed him into Paul, just like he pursued Judas so that he would acknowledge his sin. God knows the outcome of these questions and when they are going to sink in, but the important thing is that we recognize that God is demonstrating that he is slow to anger. He is demonstrating that he is wise. In fact, by the end of the chapter, he's going to ask a couple more questions and the book is going to end with those questions. The wise and wonderful questions of the great counselor as he encounters an angry prophet standing against him. You see, ultimately, at the end of the day, God knows that mankind has a problem with his character. He knows that even we ourselves, if we admit it at times, in subtle ways demonstrate that we have a problem with God's character. But the good news of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ is one who came to do his Father's will. He expresses that in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He expresses that as he wrestles with the consequences of the judgment of God falling upon him. And he doesn't say anything like what Jonah says. He doesn't say, I knew that this was going to happen, Father, because you are being gracious to them and causing me to suffer. No, in fact, he came specifically to suffer, to show the grace of God, to be the embodiment of the mercy of God. He came as one who delighted to do his Father's will. As a quote from Psalm 40 that's there in Hebrews 10 tells us, he came as one who delighted to do the Father's will. It was acknowledged at his baptism by the voice from heaven. It was acknowledged at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was a son who brought great delight to the Father. And yet because God is this way, because he is gracious, because he is merciful, because he is slow to anger, because he abounds in loving kindness, and because he relents from doing harm, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that... Savior encountered the wrath of God. Jonah doesn't truly encounter the wrath of God. He gets counseling questions. But Jesus was interposed directly under God's wrath in order, brothers and sisters, to remove it so that you and I might have a confession that includes this statement about him relenting from doing harm and helps us to understand more completely that God is gracious, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounds in loving kindness. That's seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we have the privilege of offering to a fallen world, a world that resists God's character, the embodiment of God's character, and even modeling it in our responses to them. But one of the first things that we need to wrestle with is the attitude of Jonah. We need to seal it in our minds and hearts that Jonah was backwards, the opposite of what he was supposed to be. That Jonah's response to the the repenting of Nineveh was completely backwards. That he had no right to be angry. He was as wrong as Cain. He was as wrong as Judas. He was as wrong as Saul when he was persecuting the church. He was as wrong as Adam in the garden. He didn't have the representative role of Adam. But he was opposing God's character. And that can be manifested in many different ways. Brothers and sisters, the way that we oppose God's character, the way that we stand against his graciousness and his mercy, it can be as subtle as pulling back from handing out a tract to someone as they walk by because we've ruled them out in our minds. Or maybe passing by an opportunity when someone tells us something and we know that we could say just a few words, but we refrain. Because we've ruled them out because we've forgotten that it's the character of God that brought us to where we are. The presence of Jesus Christ and that agonizing prayer of Jesus in the garden, wrestling with the the cup that he was about to drink, the cup of God's wrath, and acknowledging that he does not want to drink it, but he will, because it is the Father's will. Because this is the way God's compassion and mercy and kindness is displayed to a world that is set against him. And this is how the world is one. This is how people are one. One by one. City by city. Through the character of God expressed in Jesus Christ. And so... This question echoes in our minds whenever we find ourselves standing against God in any way. In Jonah's case, it was anger. In our case, it might be greed or lust or commitment to doing our own will. But the question is, is it right? And the Lord is counseling Jonah. He's asking him this question. He's going to give him actually more object lessons. He's going to continue to pursue him. He's going to show him the error of his ways. He's going to ask him more wise and wonderful questions. But each time we encounter those questions, when we persist in something that stands against God's grace, we need to be reminded that he is gracious and merciful. Not as something to resist or to take advantage of, but it's something to take in and be changed by. Because brothers and sisters, that's why we have the supper. That's why we have the preaching of the gospel. That's why we have the word of God. That's why you know the good news, so that you can be someone who enjoys, savors, and loves the character of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to relish the character of Jesus Christ, an expression of your character, an expression of your mercy, and your character that allows you to relent from disaster. A reason why the people of Israel existed as you relented and acknowledge the prayer of Moses. But something even greater happened when the Lord Jesus Christ stated that he was going to do your will and he became the embodiment of your mercy so that we have a place to be oriented. In all of our sin and all of our resistance to you, we have a place to be renewed and refreshed and enlivened again. You are, are gracious to us you have been merciful to us the fact that you are slow to anger has enabled us to have another opportunity to grow in appreciation for your character and we have the message of jesus christ crucified and raised the one who prays for us at your right hand the one who's coming up back to make everything right we don't need to crave justice Because you will bring it about. We need to see that you have brought about a just outcome in removing your wrath from us by pouring it on your Son. That you have demonstrated your justice, but you have also opened the door to your mercy. And forgive us for pitting one against the other in our minds and hearts because, to the degree that we do, we don't understand the cross. We don't understand the work of Jesus Christ. We don't understand how justice and mercy met together and were resolved so that we might benefit from your mercy until the great day of judgment. And we don't understand the dynamic of a fallen world that desperately needs. People who love your character. People who relish it. People who delight in it. And the fact that that is true is the reason why you sent your son. Make us like him. People who delight in your character. People who stand in the flow of redemptive history. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.